almost felt like letting Brother Brad just go ahead and preach the way he was talking. I mean, I could have listened to that. And it, he had great thoughts there. It's an honor to be here with you. I thank you for the invitation and for the opportunity to come. Uh, I, my heart's been filled. The singing, the preaching, my heart's been filled. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. My sermon title tonight is, What Does This Mean? What Does This Mean? I'll be reading out of the second chapter of Acts, reading the first through the 18th verses. Acts 2, 1 through 18. The sermon title again is, What Does This Mean? Starting with verse 1 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when... This was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And, that, and how hear we every man in our own tongue when we were born? Parthenians and Medes, Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, sin is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass... In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Pentecost was a Jewish festival. Matter of fact, it was one of the the three major Jewish festivals that uh, was common to the Jewish religion. The term Pentecost means 50 uh, because it took place 50 days after the Passover. This feast was also called the, the Feast of Weeks, and that's because they said it, it was, uh, the, it was uh, a week of weeks, uh, or seven weeks, if you would, after the Passover. It was celebrated at 
at that time because of the gratitude that they had for the gathered harvest that, that, that had come into their homes and into their lives. Uh, it was also called uh, uh, something that they would, would celebrate in such a manner that they would gather together, and this time was used for prayer, and it was used for worship. Uh, they, they would bring in a meat offering, seven lambs, one bullock, uh, two rams, as well as two loaves of bread, and those, that bread in this feast had leaven in it. And the day was called a holy convocation, or as the NIV puts it, a, a sacred assembly. Later on in the life of Israel, uh, they came to call this, uh, or not call it, but they celebrated and commemorated it as when uh, Moses gave the law to Israel or when God gave the law to Moses who gave it to Israel. And so we see that this became an occasion of gratitude. And it was given, the gratitude was given to God for the manner in which he poured his blessings upon the people of God. Um, I think that we might say that we've had a holy convocation here, that we had a sacred assembly. Uh, people have prayed, they have praised the Lord, there have been testimonies, there have been songs. I believe that the songs that are sung were not sung so that they could entertain the crowd that was here, but, that's, uh, but that it could they could lift up Jesus Christ and worship him in a manner that pleased him. The sermons that have been preached here, the ones I've heard, and I have no doubt the others as well, were also presented for praise to God. You see, no preacher stands up to please the crowd if he's uh, God called. He stands up or she stands up to please God. That's the only one that has to put their, his stamp of approval upon what's said or done while we're together. Everybody else, uh, folks, we're secondary. We're secondary. God is primary. And you and I must realize this. And so this is what's taking place with is in Israel when they celebrate this great feast. Later on, as they came to realize that this was because of uh, uh, what God had given them, and they realized that it caused a miraculous change in their lives. Now, you see, the giving of the law is what noted Israel as a nation to the people around them and to their relationship with God. Now, the nations around them worshiped gods, but they worshiped the one true God. The nations around them made their idols, but Israel refused idols. And so when they received the law, they utilized the law to shape their lives. And because of receiving the law, it noted that they were people of God to all the other nations. Now, folks, you can imagine, or you don't have to imagine, you can read the Bible, uh, the problems that produced for them at times. They would go through an area or they would be living in an area and suddenly the people would be against them. As a matter of fact, the nation of Israel, because of their refusal at times 
to obey the law, it cost them their relationship with God. And thus we read about their captivity and the other things that happened to them as we look at the history of that nation. Now, most of us probably know that the events of this chapter have been discussed by Christians uh, almost nonstop, and also by non-Christians. The question of speaking in tongues has become such an issue that I think it wrongly outweighs the meaning of what is taking place here. We are so worried at times about people who misuse that area of Scripture and we're afraid that they'll come in our midst and cause us problems. And I don't know how many pastors are here, but I always figured that the best way to avoid those problems was to preach about those issues ahead of time. And that way you get put everybody on notice on what was true and what you expected and what the church expected. But we have people today that that they argue about this issue, and if you want to argue about it, I don't want to argue with you about it, but I can tell you that from reading in the book of Acts, we find that every time that the term tongues or dialects are used, it's, it's referring to a, a, a historical language of some kind. It's never a reference to static utterances that some people would proclaim. But I would really like to pull us away from that a little bit and look at what's taking place here. We, we need to understand what is, is so meaningful about this. You see, this event so impacted the nation of God's people, the, not the nation of Israel, but God's church in such a manner that it changed the church really. I know the church hadn't been in existence that long at that time as far as how we understand the church. But the reality is, is that God's people, when the Holy Spirit came, it caused them to have a different outlook about everything. It changed their attitudes. It changed what they wanted to do. It changed where they were going. Now, prior to the day of Pentecost, If you'd have talked to the people of the church, they wouldn't have told you about reaching into the world. Uh, Even though Jesus had told them twice already after his resurrection that they needed to go into the world. He'd let them know already. But they were still dealing with, will these people around us kill us or not? They were still struggling with what it meant for them in their lives. They didn't know all the answers, kind of like us. They had big questions. And when we read in the book of Acts at this, about this event, it's written 30 to 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And he, by the way, because of what happens on that day, the world had already heard the message of Jesus. Now, I know some of you say, now, wait a minute, I think you're carrying this a little bit too far. Well, I just just would like to point it out to you, what Paul says in Colossians. He says in Colossians 1, 5, and 6, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, 
as it is in all the world. Now, he wasn't talking about South America. He was talking about the Mediterranean world. He was talking about the nations that were already all around there. And by that time, the message of Jesus had been spread abroad that far. By that time. The reason that that had happened is because of what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's amazing. If you go ahead and read through the New Testament, Acts 8, I believe it is. You read where the persecutions came after the death of Stephen. The persecutions of the church came. And, and the Bible says, and they were scattered abroad except for the apostles. I find that interesting. You see, in the life of the church, we expect the pastors or the staff members to go out and do all the, those things. But the reality is, is the world got the message of Jesus when the church was filled with the Spirit and moved out because it so caused them to, to need to share the gospel with others that they moved out. And brothers and sisters, people everywhere, they went. Now, let me tell you probably how this happened. This is how I kind of imagine it. Here's a guy that's, he's working, he's kind of like a, a Paul was. Maybe he's a tent maker. He makes tents and he's working on a tent and this guy next to him, he begins talking to him and, and they begin looking at each other and, and sharing thoughts and ideas and suddenly this tent maker that's part of the church says, uh, by the way, do you know Jesus? He says, what are you talking about, buddy? I never heard, heard of this Jesus. He says, well, let me tell you. Jesus came from heaven, put on human flesh. He preached the gospel. He died on Calvary. He was buried and he was resurrected. And he's coming again. And the guy would probably look at him and say, Man, I don't know, maybe you've been smelling the, the leather too long around here. Uh, but, and then the guy says, oh, no, no, man, I, let me tell you about Jesus again. And day in and day out, that message would be shared as they worked together, as they spent time together, as they ate their lunch together, as they did all the things they did as tent makers. And, and suddenly, somewhere along the way, God used that message from that tent maker to awaken that other tent maker, and he turned to Jesus and called on Christ. And now, during this time period, though, he'd be going home and he'd be telling his wife and kids, hey, you, you don't know, I'm working with a nut over there, you know. This guy is absolutely crazy. He thinks that there's a guy named Jesus that was God who came to earth and put on human flesh and died and was buried and rose again. And then one day he goes home. He says, honey, I don't know if you're going to believe this or not, but I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and he did. And she said, I don't know about you. You're not the guy I married. And over a period of time, one day she asked Jesus to forgive her. 
And then they start talking to their neighbors. They start telling their neighbors about Jesus. Oh man, you know, you do. let me tell you about Jesus. And the neighbors would go, oh boy, not again. Not again. I've heard enough of this. Now why don't you, why don't you get, tell me a different story and they'd say, oh, this is the best story. Let me tell you how Jesus forgave me, how he cleansed me, how he made me whole. I don't know what all the songs they sang, but uh, if they'd have known Amazing Grace back then, they'd have sang it. And in their homes, they sang the songs and they shared with their neighbors. But that's how the gospel spread. But it wasn't till the day of Pentecost that they were able to do that. Let me give you what I think are three things out of this that kind of gives us an idea of what's happening here, what this means. The first thing you need to note is the promise was fulfilled. In Luke 24, 26, uh, we read these words, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Here's the promise. The Holy Spirit will come. Here's the promise. Now you can always trust God on His promises. I pray you realize that. Now, if you don't know that, there was this guy named Jesus that was prophesied of numerous times in the Old Testament. And, and we were told that he would come, that he'd be born of a virgin, be born in the city of Bethlehem. We were told that he would be called a, a, a Naz, a, from Nazareth. We were, we were told that he was someone that would die on Calvary, that not a bone would be broken, uh, that, they, that they, would, uh, they would gamble for his uh, very cloak. We're told all of these, these are all the promises. Now, there's more of them, but th- these are all promises that God gave, and he kept every one of them. Now, he kept every one of them. And if you want to see it, read the New Testament and watch what happens as all these things come about. All the promises of God are given. And they're, they're given so that we know that He is someone that we can trust in our lives. Here are men and women this, in this day on, on the, in Acts 2 that are, that, who have used the, or heard the message of God in their lives. They've seen the Old Testament. They know about these things. And they realize that God can be trusted. Now, they, they remembered what God said. Now, folks, they, they weren't surprised about the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand that. They weren't surprised about the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we think that uh, the Holy Spirit came, and, and in the Old Testament, there, there was no Holy Spirit. And we forget that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, but... Uh, they would have known the uh, scripture verse in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So they knew about the Spirit of God. They understood about the Spirit of God. Later on, 
Peter would write about how the, uh, those of the past knew about the Spirit of God. And he says it like this, knowing this first, that, we, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So they understood. They knew about the Holy Spirit. They knew that there was this one that was called a Holy Spirit that, that had done these things. But in the Old Testament, it seemed like it was something that was reserved to the priest and maybe a few special people. You know, if, if you weren't David or Daniel or Deborah, uh, you know, you didn't have the Holy Spirit or you didn't have the, what we would call the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it was like, it was for those special ones, those special people, those individuals that had this special connection with God. Uh, and they, they, they didn't have the idea that the Holy Spirit could be in every individual. Uh, do you think that the Holy Spirit was unknown? Would we look at it in that way? But here is the promise given. Everyday men and women, and not just the elite, not just the wise, not just the strong, not just the rich, not just people that you think are supposed to be spirit-filled, but every man and woman who is a follower of Jesus Christ can have the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is going to be given. It was the promise that was given. You could have the Spirit. Did you, do you recall uh, as we read on down through that scripture where we read, where he talked about the uh, prophecy from Joel? He said, this is that. So young men and young women, you can be filled with the Spirit of God. You can prophesy, preach, proclaim God's truth. You, regardless of your age, can be filled with the Spirit of God. Mothers and fathers and young women and old men, it doesn't matter who you are, the Spirit of God will fill you up, will enable you to speak, will enable you to be the man or woman that God would have you to be so that you can step out into the world with this great message of Jesus making a difference in the world that you live in. You see, this fulfillment would mean that they could have God living in them. Oh Man, what a difference this would make. What an amazing moment it was for them. They did not have to go to the temple to find God. But rather they became the temple where God lived. What an amazing, wonderful truth it was. We read as Paul says, For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. The message, the wonder of being able to have God in you. You get up in the mornings, folks. And I know some mornings are kind of bad, aren't they? Uh, the older I get, the more I find out how things don't work as well as they used to. And uh, 
some mornings are kind of bad. Uh, you have pain and sorrow. I got a message just this afternoon from a, a gal in our congregation in Greenville. And she said the doctors said it was cancer. The doctors said it was cancer. Some days are bad. But God is still God on the bad days. And he lives in his people. He fills you with his spirit so that you can be the man or woman God would have you to be as you go through this life. He enables you and I to walk as his because he lives in us. Folks, used to it had to be the priest or the prophet. But now it's you. It's you. You see, that's why you don't go to church. That's why you are the church. See, that's the difference. Some people say that's semantics. No, it's not semantics. It's, it's a reality. You see, you can have a lot of people come in here, and you can have a concert. And you can bring in whoever you want to. And, and it, people can walk in, they walk out, they've heard some singing, whether it's gospel or not, and they say, man, wasn't that good? But when God's church comes, and God comes, and your heart's filled up with the Spirit of God to enable you to know that you've been in His presence. You stepped into the place where God was, or rather, you brought Him with you. Because you're the church. You're the place that He dwells. So when you get up in the morning and you go to work, understand this. God is with you. When you go to the hospital, understand this. God is with you. When things go bad, understand this. God is with you. You are not alone. You have been filled with some great entity that we call God the Holy Spirit. And He is the one that lives inside of you. You see, I think that... uh, That's one of the major issues for us today because we're all going to face issues and problems. We all are. Uh, You won't get away from it. Young, old, it doesn't matter who you are. You're not going to get away from it. Uh, Pastor Tony and I was talking um, just the other day, yesterday, and uh, uh, the uh, death of his wife came. Uh, eight years ago, my oldest son was killed in a motorcycle accident. Uh, two years ago, I was in the hospital with COVID. Uh, the, um, my wife said, I, see, I don't remember any of it because I was, I was totally gone. Um, my wife said that she took me, well, the ambulance came and took me to the hospital she said my daughter and her were sitting there and said they let them come in and finally they looked at her and, and they, you know, they had me all hooked up to everything. They looked, the doctor looked at her and said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Said, we don't think he's going to make it till, through the, till tomorrow. Said, his kidneys are shutting down. The COVID is so bad. It's just his, his whole system shutting down. Now, I don't remember any of this because I was out. And I, people, people ask me if I went through COVID. I tell them, no, I slept through COVID. My <laughs> wife went through COVID. 
And um, so she, uh, she said the doctor told her, said, uh, uh, you can't come back. This is when they weren't even allowing them to come back in the hospital. You can't come back. She said uh, my daughter and her were walking out of the hospital. And Ruth, uh, my wife, looked at uh, Debbie. And she said, well, said the doctors have had their say. Now God will have his say. Amen. Yeah. yeah. My daughter, uh, after I came to and they realized I was going to make it and everything, she said she went down to the emergency room hunting up that other doctor. She said she wanted to find him and tell him what God had done, you know. And, uh, and, but friends, when it's bad, when it's bad, God is with you. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. God's people were allowed to be filled up with God. You can have God in you. You don't walk around just you anymore. You're a person that's been filled up with God. So when you go somewhere, God is with you. When you say something, God is with you. When you treat people a certain way, God is with you. You see, in every moment of your life, when you get up, when you lay down, when you go out, when you celebrate a birthday, or when you go to a funeral, God is with you. And that's the promise that was given on that day. That was the promise that was made to God's people. That was the promise when Joel talked about it, and he declared what would happen That's the promise that was given. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, that's what happened. The wonders of it all. And so you and I live and be the people that God would have us to be because God is with us. Well, let me go on just a little bit further. There's also purity provided. Uh, When we read that there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it's set upon each of them, it's revealing a symbol of what the Holy Ghost would do. Uh, Actually, this is actually a reminder of the words of John the Baptist. You remember, I indeed baptize you with water and to repentance, But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now to the Jew, fire was always representative of God's power, God's God's ability to work within the person, God's ability to change people, to make them into something else. Do you recall... In the uh, in when Elijah is on a Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, I, I I love that area of scripture. I was reading through there again today, and um, and I suddenly realized something about it. I I, I know I've seen it before, but I just it suddenly just kind of clicked in my mind. Uh, you, you recall the prophets of Baal, they've, they've been cutting themselves and doing all the things they do to try to get their God's attention. 
and they have no answers. And, and Elijah's sitting back making fun of them. I, I, I kind of, I, I, man, he was brave, you know. Him, 450. Him, 450. And, and he's making fun of them. And finally, it's his turn. And he, they have the altar, and he has the wood put around it, and, uh, and he has them dig the trench, and he has them pour the water on it. Now, I think that in itself is a miracle because they've been going through a three-year drought. And suddenly, he gets them to pour, pour all this water and they pour them on there, and he said, pour some more, and they pour more, and he said, pour some more, and they fill up the trench with the water. Everything's good and soaked, and suddenly the fire from God came down. Amen. <laughs> Man, and when the fire from God came down, note, you ought to note what it says. Burned up the wood, burned up the stones. Well, actually, the way it puts it is it licked it up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And it licked up the dust. And it licked up the water. When God's power comes, when his presence is there, when the fire of God is given, understand, it purifies everything. Everything. God's fire in the heart and life of people is such that it will, if we allow it to, it will lick up everything that ought not to be there. It will take care of it all. Friend, you don't have to be what you were. My pastor used to say he sinned more or less every day before he got saved. Yeah. He said when God saved him, he made him different. And my brothers and sisters, you and I ought to see this clearly about the purity that the fire of God will bring into the life of a man or woman. The Holy Ghost comes purifying the heart and the life of the man and woman who would be open to Him. It means that God wants to clean up the person from the inside out. Now, some of you were like me. I was raised in Dayton, Ohio. And in the streets of Dayton, Ohio, um, I remember puffing on cigarettes when I was six years old. And by the time I was 12, I was a steady smoker. And by the time I was 18, I was a, well, 19, I was a two-pack-a-day smoker. And when I got married, I tried to quit smoking because I couldn't afford cigarettes and the kids. <laughs> I thought about sending the kids back, but Ruth wouldn't let me. And, uh, but, uh, and I tried to quit, and I did for about a day. And then I tried to quit again for a couple of days. You know, you, you guys know, you gals know, you, you, light, you put that last cigarette out and you say, I'm not going to smoke anymore and throw the pack away. And then wish the next day you're going out in the store and buying another pack. The night I got saved, God delivered me. Wow. Wow. I was 21 years old. I didn't know anything. 
Folks, I was raised in church, but I still didn't know anything. And some of you understand that too. I'd spent all my whole life sitting in the pew not listening. My mom, if she caught me sleeping or if she, actually if she saw me talking, she, my mom would sit with her arm over the pew like this. And she'd look over and see me and she'd go. And if she did that twice, it means I was dead when I got home. <laughs> yeah, my mom could whip you before you knew you were whipped. Yeah, yeah. and. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything, but God was able to deliver me, purify me. <laughs> the idea is presented to us about being sanctified. And by the way, that word is the same word that you find for holy, or at least they come out of the same root word, hagios, and, and it has the idea of holiness are to be set apart. To be set apart. You are no longer a common vessel in the temple or in a home. Now, you see, there were common vessels, and then there were vessels that were set apart. The common vessels were the things that you cooked your food in, you might, uh, you might wash your clothes in, or, or all those kinds of things. But those things that were the vessels that were set apart, they were made of gold and silver, and they were used in the temple, and they could only be used there. You didn't take them home and cook your beans in them. That wasn't the way it worked. You see, these were special. Now, when God fills you up with His Spirit and He purifies your heart and life, he makes you special. You're his vessel. You're not for the common things of this world. You ought not to act like the world. You might ought not to talk like the world. You ought, ought not to be doing the things that this world does. You say, well, what are those? It's whatever you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. I stole that from Brother Bradley. Some of you guys know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you recognize it, didn't you, Charlie? Yeah. But you see, the issue is that you're, you've been set apart by God. He has purified you. He's cleaned you up. He's, he's taken all those rough edges. And by the way, he still works on them as you go along. Uh, and he, he kind of works on them for a while. And then you're going along good. And all of a sudden, God says, you know what you did? You ought not to have done that. Man, it usually happens me, me with my wife. <laughs> now, years ago, I would have the tendency to, I, I would try to be quiet. You know, I try, try not to say anything. And then finally I'd say, who died and made you boss? I think she wanted to say, Nobody, but I can kill you if I want to. You know, I don't. I don't know, but but I've said some hurtful things to her, and turned around to walk away. And God would say, "You shouldn't have said that to your wife. 
She's your helpmeet. She's the person that stands with you. Now, I wish I could tell you every time he says that to me, I immediately turn around and straighten that out. But there's times where I have to work it through my head and my heart, and finally I'll come back and I'll say, Ruth, I shouldn't have said that to you. Forgive me for it. I hate doing that. Man, I hate, I hate doing that. I, I, it's just true. I, I just, I don't, so, see, because I hate doing it, I work really hard not to say those things. So that I don't have to do it anymore. But God works on you as you go through your life. And he's trying to make you more and more and more of what he wants you to be. Because you've been set apart. You're that special vessel that he's cleaning off. And he's using in his ministry to the world around us. To reach people. To help people know that there's a savior that is so great and wonderful and marvelous. That he'll forgive your sins and he'll wash them clean. And make you whole and let you start over again amazing what God does amazing what God does I read a book while well, I've read more than one book but uh, I read this one particular book and this author was talking somewhat about this issue and uh, he uses different wording because of the background he comes from but he said uh, uh, he says he talks about what he calls the casual Christian. I, I find that a, a term that is interesting. Let's just put it like that, just interesting. Actually, I really find it a term that ought not to be used about Christians. You ought not to be a casual Christian. But he talks about this. He said, once outside the confines of the building, the casual Christian calls his church uh, he quickly forgets who he is. He curses and uses God's name flippantly and in vain. He goes to work, plans how to, play, uh, to place his enemies in a bad light and so forth. And then he went on and he said, but there's even worse. He said, as is often the case, it isn't found in the commission of any particular act, but instead no mission. And he says, the tragedy of his life is that he goes from day to day, moment to moment, never allowing even the slightest hint that he is a Christian. He chooses to coexist, to get along without causing any trouble or commotion. He elects to be a part of the world, refusing to acknowledge that he is apart from it. So the conflict rages. One day he's wanting to be what God wants him to be, and the other day he's just trying to be casual about everything. Friend, I want you to know, I, I, I have a trouble. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have trouble calling that Christian, okay? But you see, the Spirit of God can come and take all that casual outlook away See, if you and I understand hell correctly, it's going to be a place where the people that we love that don't know Jesus goes. If we understand it correctly. And if you understand hell correctly, you understand that it's a place where there's nothing good. Nothing good. You'll never hear a baby crying in hell. 
You'll never see a small child like that that being held by the mother. You'll not be with those people that you loved that were followers of Jesus. But you will get to be with the people that you've led astray. Dad, that son that thinks you're it and wants to follow you will follow you straight to hell. And for all of eternity, you'll look in his eyes and you'll remember that you were at least part of the cause of them being lost. Now, so you see that husband or wife, that son or daughter, that grandchild. Man, grandkids are better than kids. You know that? Yeah. Oh, I've got granddaughters. I got five granddaughters, 20 to 26. One grandson, almost 17. Those granddaughters are something. Yeah. I want them to go to heaven with me. Can't be casual about what God has done in my life. The purity of the Holy Spirit within us works at the removal of all of those things, all those attitudes and actions that shouldn't be in us. He will not live in our lives if we are polluted with the sinfulness of, a, of this world. Let me give you the last thing here tonight. This area of scripture in Acts 2 also shows us about the power that's made available. Uh, a really interesting account about this because of the way it connects with the rest of the scriptures. Uh, it tells us that there was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. Uh, this, I think, is very reminiscent of what happened in the Valley of Dry Bones in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I think that on that day that had to come to their minds, every Jewish person there, the idea of what happened in the Valley of Dry Bones had to come to their mind. In Ezekiel 37, where it talks about the Valley of Dry Bones, you, you get the picture of it, but sometimes we miss it from the English translations. Uh, in verse 9 and 14, uh, many of the words that, that are translated as wind and breath are really spirit. That's the word, it's ruach in the, uh, in the Hebrew. And, and it, it's a word that tells us about the spirit. And that's the words that, that word that is used there. And so it's, when it says this, prophesy unto the wind... Prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Yeah, what, a, what a moment that was. What a moment that was. The bones were dead and dry, and you know the account. And, and suddenly, uh, the bones, he's, he's to prophesy, and the bones start coming together. 
And, and you know the old song, you know, the, the thigh bone got connected to the hip bone and so forth and so on. And, and some of you could probably sing that. But that old song gives us that picture of that. And, and how the, the, uh, the bones come together and the flesh comes up on it. But it, they're not alive. Until the prophet prophesies and the breath of God breathes on them. And suddenly all those old dead bones, all those uh, uh, pretenses of humanity are standing there. And the Spirit of God comes and He makes them live. Now, that's also reminiscent of something that happened much earlier and it was called creation God takes man and he makes him puts him together in dust uh, I don't I, that'd be interesting to see what the first guy looked at I was he six foot 180 pound you know I you know but here he is dust but until God breathes the breath of life into him he doesn't live. You see, from the very creation, the understanding is that real life doesn't come until the Spirit of God is in you. You and I have no power to really live until the Spirit of God is in us. Man, when I was lost, I thought I was living. Found out later I was dying. It wasn't living. Man, that type of life is damaging to your body, damaging to your heart, damaging to your family. It damages everything. And when God comes and He gives you new life, there's a new birth. He gives you the breath of God breathed into you. The Spirit of God enabling you to be what God would have you to be. The power of God given. Man, have you ever been to a place where they've had a tornado go through? The wind moves and it twists and it breaks and it tears things apart. It was down in, uh, over in uh, uh, Illinois, we had a tornado hit close and some folks in our church, the, the tornado literally took the roof of his house, lifted it up, and set it back down. Not in the same way it was to start with, but lifted it up and set it back down. That's the power of that wind. Well, when the wind of God, when the breath of God, when the Spirit of God comes into the heart and life of the person, they will be enabled to be the kind of person God wants them to be. In every day of their life, the Spirit of God will be working with His power in their life to make them more and more and more and more and more and more. Man, isn't it great He doesn't finish you up at one time? I mean, He takes and He does everything in you and He keeps working and working and improving you and improving you and improving you. On the day of Pentecost... That wind came, <laughs> and Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. 
Man, we, most of us pastors be happy if we get one saved. You know, yeah, got, somebody got saved this week. I think it was last Sunday. We had four people saved at church. Man, we're, we're happy. I had shaking each other's hands. God came, did something here today. And four people saved. Marvelous, wonderful. Uh, I think the day before that, we, we had our uh, CR group, the uh, Celebrate Recovery group, go out. And they baptized nine people in a muddy hole. I mean, they, they sunk to their knees in the mud in the water. Pastor Nathan didn't want to get in either. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> and, and nine baptized. Man, we celebrate that. They had 3,000 saved. 3,000. The power of God came. It moved over the crowd. People sensed God. They knew He was there. And they knew that they needed Him. And folks, after that... Uh, they had power to go from the safety of their homes and the comfort of their families. And they went into the jails, the cities, the courtrooms of their day with one simple message. Jesus came from heaven, put on human flesh, lived on this earth, died at Calvary, was buried, and on the third and appointed morning He rose. And brothers, sisters, he's coming again. And they went out and they told that message and they told that message and they told that message. Frightened men and women became fiery preachers of the gospel. Uh, Those who had been cowardly became fierce and standing against the opposition. Those who had fled from death marched toward it with a song on their lips and joy in their hearts that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the Savior. That's the power of God. It's not man-made. You don't manufacture it. But it's God-given. And it will stand in, in the face of everything that comes. So what does this mean? That's the question that they asked that day. Note, they didn't ask, why do those people speak in tongues? But what they did was ask, what did that event of that day mean? And the response was simply this. The promise of God is fulfilled. Purity is provided. And power is made available. So tonight, the question is, is what does that mean for you and me? It means that the promise has been fulfilled. Purity is provided. And the power of God is made available. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and I pray here tonight that you speak to each one of us. God, this is about you and about what you want to do in the lives of people. There are people here that need you. There are people here that need the power of the Spirit in their life, that need the purity that the Spirit can give. The promise has been given, Father. It's been fulfilled. And this is ours 
if we would come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? Turn to page 175 in your big book, please. Page 175. God has sent the Holy Spirit to our hearts and honored guests to I'm, I'm convinced that the message our brother brought tonight is the message that needs to be embraced by the church in the world today. We are, we are more than the keepers of a doctrine. I love our doctrine. But you'll remember what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus when he had John, right? He said, I know your doctrine. I know you know the truth and you hold on to it, but I have this against you. There's something missing in your heart. You've left your first love. Our brother was preaching tonight, and I couldn't help but think of a couple of verses from Colossians. He, meant, he mentioned Paul's letter to the Colossian church. 
And in Colossians 1, Paul said this to them. He said, there is a mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now God has revealed it to His saints. For to them, that's me and you, for to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, this hidden thing among the Gentiles. What is the mystery that was hidden from the ages? What is the thing that wasn't known until it was known in you and me? It's this Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Knowing some scriptures, one thing, saying you've been forgiven. Let me tell you something. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just dying so that he could stamp canceled on your sin debt. He died on the cross so that he could put the Holy Spirit in you. That's what it's about. Putting the life of Christ in you through the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to be honest. I, brother, I, I surely who am I to come behind Brother Gerald Rudd and try to, try to add a thing to his message. But I'm convicted. That's what I'm saying to you. I'm convicted that too often in today's church, we treat, we treat the, the Holy Spirit like some kind of weird cousin that shows up occasionally at a family reunion. We don't know what to do with him when he gets there. Friend, that's not, who are we if we're not the people filled with the Holy Spirit? Filled with the Spirit, we get to be the tellers of that best story of all. Amen. Without the Holy Spirit, brother, you just can't tell it right. You can't tell it right. And nobody's going to believe it. And nobody's life will be changed. Nobody will go to heaven instead of going to hell. Amen. You have people you want to pray for. You have people you want to witness to and see them say, the most important thing you can do for them is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brother, thank you. Thank you for that message tonight. We need, I needed it. Maybe they didn't. I needed it. I bet some of them did too. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Do you have what you need tonight? Maybe we could just sing one more verse of that if there is another verse. If there's not, we'll sing the first one again. But if you don't have what you need where the Holy Spirit is concerned, or maybe a better way to say it is if the Holy Spirit doesn't have what He needs where you're concerned, maybe that'd be a good chance to pray. Amen. Maybe one more verse tonight. All thyself to Him surrender.